Hi, I'm Diora, and this is Broccoli Book Club. This is the book club episode. The episode format is split into three sections. We start at the front cover where we talk about our first impressions and expectations. Then we delve into the actual book and finally end at the back where we focus on our reflections and takeaways. This month, we're discussing Breathtaking by Dr. Rachel Clark. Rachel is a palliative care doctor who volunteered her time to look after the most vulnerable COVID-19 patients during the first wave of the pandemic. The author gave us an in-depth overview of the first four months of 2020 by describing the behind the scenes of the hospital during that time. She shared how her colleagues dealt with the exponentially rising death toll, the neglect from the government, and the fear many patients felt as they were taken into the intensive care unit. Rachel courageously gives us a raw yet hopeful overview of the traumatic time we all dealt with and continue to process in the present. Joining me in today's book club are Samara Linton and Jaja Mohammed. Samara is an audio producer and a former junior doctor. And Jaja is a producer at Broccoli Productions. Now that the intros are done, I really wanted to know our guest's first impression of the title. I really like the title. I think I like the play on words between breathtaking, you know, being something spectacular. And then also the fact that COVID is a disease that affects your breathing and the airways. I thought the book looked quite hopeful with the whole dandelion effect and everything that was going on. But I personally wouldn't have picked this book up if I'd seen it in a store because it just feels like we're still right in the middle of a pandemic. And I think especially when you look on kind of the global scale, it just felt a bit premature. I agree 100%. To be honest, when I did look at the title, I did feel it was slightly crude, but I do understand that it is a play on word. It's an atrocity that we've been through. It's breathtaking to know how many lives have been lost. So I guess... You know, there's so many different ways to take it. I'm not very sure if I would go out of my way to read a book about the pandemic because it feels a bit Black Mirror-ish. We're right in the middle and that's stranger than fiction type of thing. Well, I think for me, I agree. Breathtaking is clearly has lots of different meanings. So it is a clever title. And the subtitle is Inside the NHS in a Time of Pandemic. Now, I do feel that it is slightly premature because actually the book only spans I think four months and it's been a long time now since the pandemic has begun it does just feel like incomplete in that sense but then at what point do you write a book about the pandemic that you don't know whether it's going to end or not so it makes sense why the book was written because it is Rachel's own reflections within those first four months but I don't know if I personally would pick up a book about the pandemic right now just because it's something that has been so exhausting to think about and of course it's a huge privilege to say like oh it's I don't want to think about it but I think it's also okay to not want to think about it considering we're living it. Let's delve into the book itself. I think she had some really lovely descriptions. I think She starts with this contrast between really clear, beautiful skies of spring and then like the really bleak chaos that's going on within the hospital. And I think I related a lot to 
I guess just life working in a hospital as a doctor, like I didn't do any clinical work during the pandemic. It really affected how I read the book, but there's so much about being a healthcare professional, about, you know, presenteeism and feeling like you have to be at work and you have to stay late and you have to do all these things because if you don't, you know, people's lives are at risk. And to what extent do you balance your own responsibilities to yourself and to your family and your loved ones with your duty as a doctor? I think that kind of exploration was something that I related to. And I think it was quite nice to see someone articulate it, I guess, in quite a straightforward way, because sometimes I struggled to articulate that to the people around me, that kind of duty that I feel and how much you're willing to sacrifice in your wider life for that duty. I really appreciate that, actually, Samara, because I was wondering whether you got called back. But I personally did really love the behind the scenes of the doctors, the nurses working in palliative care. There was a particular moment where she was sharing how she felt people couldn't see her because she had the PPE. She described those scenes many times. And I was like, wow, she's really impacted. She really loves people. And the way that she's able to connect with people is through her facial expressions and her body language. And she just was not able to do that. And I guess it really humanized her. That was the bit that I liked about the book. Mm, I think for me, I really enjoyed actually getting to know a bit about her home life. And actually upon reflection, like, I remember thinking, oh, like, why hasn't she spoken about this? And why hasn't she written about this? Because obviously, we've all become experts in COVID overnight. You know, we got to just see the world through her eyes. And I don't think she was trying to do any more than that. I think it just gave an insight that I was really grateful for. And because you're reading a whole book, you have to stay with it. It's not something that you just see pop up on your timeline and then you forget about it the next second. Yeah, I want to know your thoughts about how you think the National Health Service has been supporting us for the last two years and whether you think Rachel portrays the NHS in a great light in her book. I've got some strong views about this because I detested the clap for NHS. I didn't clap once. I opened my door and I saw everybody doing it and I understand, you know, the whole purpose, but it was very gimmicky. And the fact that Rachel highlighted that point and saw it as a good thing. I didn't agree with that. I don't think it's supportive at all. Captain Tom shouldn't have been walking around to raise money. It was a great thing that he did and he went viral and things like that. But it just makes the NHS look like a charity case. The NHS is not charity. We pay towards it. They're severely understaffed, overworked and underpaid. And I like that she did highlight about the masks cutting into people's faces. These are real lives. These are real people working on the front line with dying people every single day. As you can hear, I'm a bit annoyed that they're not getting the support even up until today in 2021. Yeah, I think she did a pretty good job. One of the things that Rachel does really well in this book is kind of humanizing very, very small things. Like Jaja said, you know, describing the way masks were cutting into people's faces, family members connecting over an iPad with little crochet hearts, so very small little moments, which very much tell you that she's a palliative care doctor because <laughs> they are an amazing, amazing group of people, amazing specialty that somehow amid the chaos are able to kind of pick up on these really personal little things. And I think that she shows how difficult it was to maintain that during the pandemic. And one of the things she said about ICU intensive care unit is that it offers a last ditch attempt to help people survive COVID. So you just want to 
literally get machines to perform the work of their organs to keep them going for as long as possible, basically to buy them time. What I found about that description was that what she was describing by the ICU could really be applied to the NHS as a whole, especially over the last two years. It's just been trying to buy time. It's to prevent this system, which we know is fragile, from completely collapsing. And one of the things that's kind of frustrated me throughout this whole pandemic is that we use a lot of war analogies. for like, let's fight COVID and win the war against COVID and all these things. Whereas probably a more accurate description or analogy would be, you know, the NHS, they're like firefighters. You're desperately trying to stop things spiraling out of control. You know, I remember being on calls kind of out of hours, but, you know, in my first year as a doctor with more responsibility than I knew what to do with. And I remember just thinking, I just need to get this patient to survive till the next day. Mm -hmm. And what did you think of the clap for the NHS initiative? (laughs) There's tweets that said, you know, we need PPE, not claps, pretty much sums it up. I think I empathise with Rachel's description of clap for the NHS, because when things are really dire, you're just looking for any glimpse of light. And I can appreciate that in the darkest of times, even though it's gimmicky, and I think she will acknowledge that, It was such a gimmick and didn't really do anything, but I can imagine how it would have felt to be leaving your house, going to what you know is going to be another depressing day, at least having this small glimmer of, you know what, even though you feel really, really alone, people are backing you. For sure. Thank you so much. I totally agree with that. At times, I felt as though the book was slightly critical of the government, but It remained largely apolitical and felt like she was on the fence on a lot of things. And the way she recalled what was going on in the government, she could have had a lot more solid opinion on the politics and been like, this should have happened and this should have happened. And do you think she was sitting on the fence or do you think maybe that's just not her expertise? I think, you know, stay in your lane. Honestly, I've read so many kind of really poorly thought out poorly researched kind of opinion pieces over the last couple of years. And I think it's okay to kind of have these opinions in discussion and, you know, we need to have these opinions, but I really think they should be led by A, lived experience and B, people who really have that kind of foundation to see the wider picture. And maybe she acknowledged this wasn't her space to do that. And I think similarly, which we may touch on later, her comments about ethnic disparities when it comes to COVID illness and death. I was like, you know what? I appreciate that this middle-class white woman might not feel comfortable going into that in too much detail. And I would rather her do that than come out and say something outlandish and for her book to be held up as kind of an authoritative piece um, commenting on ethnic disparities. That's interesting because I think the opposite obviously, because this is her exploration, her expression of what's going on. And I did do a bit of Twitter stalking and I did see that she's got loads of opinions, Mm. whether it's just retweets or it's tweets in general, she's got opinions. And I wanted to see that because it's from her perspective and the differences. We can go to the BBC and find out 80% of the information that she put in her book. Yes, she's got some personal experiences and things like that. But I felt that that was what was missing, her opinion. But she was definitely holding back and just felt like her personality was missing. I could just go on your Twitter and find out who you are more than reading your book. I wonder like, if she's just had more time now to really come 
to terms with what's going on and form more of her opinions within those first four months if the NHS was like trying to put out fire after fire maybe you just don't have those coherent thoughts yet and you're just being reactive rather than proactive but then there was also a part of me that questioned whether it remained largely apolitical so that it could sell to a bigger audience you know I'm not necessarily saying that was Rachel's intention but there are Mm -hmm. editors to this book right and her publishers are trying to sell a book yeah I considered that as well because editors will always have something to say and I think she wanted this book to just be not just be, but she deliberately is marketing it as this human heartwarming narrative of the pandemic. And I also think it goes back to what I said about the book feeling premature, because this level of analysis that we want from her, yeah, it would only really come with perspective and hindsight. And I think by putting out this book based on four months worth of experience, you don't have that. Now we know so much more about the various, you know, the contracts that were involved and things that were recommended and were ignored and those kind of things. And we can kind of put weight on that political argument. And I feel maybe if she'd waited and given this book more time to breathe, (laughs) then we would have been able to have maybe more of that discussion. On page 87, Rachel quotes Florence Nightingale by saying, I am of certain convinced that the greatest heroes are those who do their duty in the daily grind of domestic affairs, whilst the world whirls as a maddening dreidel. I feel like here, Rachel is describing the doctors, including herself, as heroes. Do you think there's a slightly maybe self-serving tone here? I think there is. I don't think I'm mad at it. (laughs) Because for what she's going through and what she's experiencing and what her family is going through, it's a lot. And it's probably the most heroic thing that she's had to do in her life. And I think not just doctors, healthcare workers, key workers across the country many have had to face their mortality in the way they haven't done before for like the public good. And there is kind of a heroism in that. I mean, to say that the greatest heroes is a bit much, but I'm not mad at it. I feel like I too would big myself up if I'd been through all of that and came out the other ends. Yeah, I agree. I guess that was her self-sacrifice and that quote in particular, I will acknowledge it as why don't they get as much money as footballers? You know, that's always the old conversation, but yeah, they are heroes. Mm. Yeah, and I think you're right, Samara. Even if it's self-serving, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And why is self-serving a bad thing? Okay, so we've spoken about this a little bit, but I want to delve deeply. Rachel briefly touched on the disproportionate impact on people of colour during the pandemic. As you know, there was also a lot of misinformation in the media during that time. What are your thoughts on her analysis of this? I think because I didn't expect much from her. I really just skim read those bits. I wasn't expecting to learn anything new. I wasn't expecting to get any unique insight because how can she provide that? She's neither living it nor researching it. I respected that she did highlight the death of that prominent doctor from when he passed away. It was kind of like a sequential thing of people of colour in the NHS are dying, particularly men. But I did want more because that was one of the main things running alongside it was huge Mm. I remember in London particularly we were all I'll say we my friends who are black and my relatives who are black we were all feeling extremely scared because we were like damn is this 
just for us then that's where conspiracy theory comes in (laughs) you know to be like is this disease just targeting black people or people of color this is just her account so yeah what she put in the book was okay I think it's hard isn't it when your own lived experience is just so wildly different to someone's you're reading you know you're right Jarja I remember at the time something that was consuming my mind was yeah the disproportionate impact on people of color especially black men and there was lots of things going on about vitamin d but then no one was really talking about the structural inequalities that were affecting communities of color and marginalized communities so Because that was just something I was thinking about for such a long time and I still do think about, it did just feel a little bit jarring that it was something that was glossed over. Now, I understand that Rachel is not an expert necessarily on this and it's also not her experience. So totally get why she maybe wouldn't feel comfortable leaning into that, but it still felt there could have been more. Could she have spoken to her colleagues who are people of colour or reached out to the families of those affected and reported on it in a way that didn't necessarily centre her but still put those voices in there. I'm not necessarily mad at her because I didn't want her to write about it in a way that's insincere but I still wanted to read about that and have that be acknowledged in depth. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat. Available now. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We're a new show breaking down the anime and pop culture news you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to (laughs) pretend that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) And we agree on some things. But not on everything. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. So, we've thoroughly shared our opinions about breathtaking and have reached the back cover I asked Jarja and Samara what their reflections were and what they've taken away from this book. I don't think I had one. To be very, very honest, I don't think there was anything. I guess maybe to the point of what Samara said, it would be really great to hear from the perspective of a POC doctor, specifically a black doctor, a black male doctor. I didn't like the book at all, but on second read, I understand why she wrote it. I think similarly, there was no big revelation. I actually liked the book. For me, it was very easy read and it was just very, I guess, reflective. But maybe that's coming from my perspective as someone who's worked in the NHS. So maybe that's who this book is for. Any takeaways from the book? I think what I found interesting, she kind of concludes that people are fundamentally 
good I know that's something you've talked about quite a lot on this podcast with various guests having various opinions and I was kind of thinking like do I agree with her and then I decided that it doesn't really matter if she's correct but I think what matters is that she believes that and I think throughout the book you can see that the thing that keeps her going is this belief that people are fundamentally good and they deserve care for me that really just summarizes what palliative care is about and really important reminder I think especially when we focus on numbers and statistics to kind of go back to the person. So I mean I didn't have like any huge revelations or takeaways but there was someone who was passing away and they had COVID and I think one of the nurses or doctors just wanted to give that person a hug because they couldn't get that because of the regulations and the risk of getting COVID as well and I thought that was such a touching moment and one that I didn't really think about all those little gestures made by healthcare professionals to ease people's end of life journeys or stay in hospital and I just thought that was so special and there really are glimmers of hope and kindness and love through extremely traumatic times. I really appreciated that Rachel focused on that because you can just tell that is what keeps her going. Finally, who would you recommend this book to? Now, I have an answer to this, so I'm going to say it first so you don't steal my answer, both of you. I think this book would be really good maybe for someone wanting a first-hand account of the pandemic from a doctor in a few years time but if someone wanted to kind of see the first-hand experience and reactions to the initial stages of the pandemic I think this could be a really great source maybe for medical students down the line or just anyone who was interested in looking at this time period in the future. I agree I was literally going to say either future me or my grandchildren because they will never believe it from my mouth. So at least there was a book that was written at the time. I think for us who lived through it and are living through it, maybe it isn't the book for us. It could be useful for people who are not really COVID deniers, but maybe like minimizers. Maybe people whose lives haven't really been touched that much by the pandemic and maybe haven't suffered any loss and haven't really had to really take on what it means to have your health taken from you by something that we can't even see. And I think for those of us who maybe have experienced the human side, it might be a bit difficult to read right now. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host. Created it, been doing it for seven years. I'm Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. Now I could tell you why you should be listening to my show, but my listeners wanted to write the ad for me and here are some of the things they said. Not your regular juicy podcast. Catch up on all the juicy topics from Hollywood and pop culture to true crime and beyond. Heather McDonald's Juicy Scoop always has great guests, great laughs, and great gossip. It's a comedian's take on the hottest headlines. Juicy Scoop is the pop culture news you want to hear. No BS, no filter, no filler. Raw, real, and in the moment. Throw in the hilarity of amazing comedians that you'll instantly be obsessed with, a juicy crime story, and a dash of normal life in L.A. moments, and you've got yourself an amazing week of Juicy Scoop. Two episodes every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It will never let you down. Thanks to Samara and Jaja for contributing to this episode. And thank you for listening to Broccoli Book Club. In next month's book club, we'll be discussing Shedding the Shackles by Lynn Stein. So get reading now and send in your thoughts and comments via voice note. 
to voicenotes at broccolicontent.com. Don't forget to share the podcast and join the conversation using the hashtag broccolibookclub. And if you liked what you heard, why not subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast app? I've been your host, Diora, and you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at the Diora. Broccoli Book Club is produced by Jarja Mohammed, assistant produced by Rory Boyle, executive produced by Renee Richardson, and mixed by Rob Fincham. This is a Broccoli Production. <laughs>